Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor. She is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin, is with us. Jorna, welcome. Welcome to the Battleground podcast. My name is yeah, Jorna Taylor. Jorna. Oh, yes. Well, hey, Jordan, it's good to be back. I'm glad I'm back from I'm uh, so glad you're back, Matt. I'm so glad. It's tough to actually do this when you're on a phone in a hotel room. That's why you should just let me host. Yeah, I should have. You know, in the future, Jorna, you are the host when I'm gone. That's more work for you. And as always, Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert, welcome. Uh, Good morning. I was thinking, does Jordan's title mean that she makes no profit? (laughs) Truth. So... (laughs) Let me just say it's uh, rigged. Definitely winter here in Wisconsin, but it's not much uh, colder here than it was in California last week. Uh, it, it had to be in the 40s or 50s. Northern I know it was Aww. not. I know it was not. It was, and yum, I never yum, left the damn hotel room. I'm sorry. I do want to say it was uh, actually a, a great week with our national network, the Partnership for Working Families, a number of great organizations who are um, definitely aware of. Uh, the magnitude of what we face, and we're very happy to be a part of that network. But let's get to what we're going to talk about on this week's podcast. We have, we are going to talk more about what we talked about a little bit last week, and it was breaking news sort of last week around the carrier jobs announcement uh, that Donald Trump had, and we had a brief conversation about that. We want to talk more about that. Uh, the union president from the local there in Indiana has been very vocal, and uh, the people are diving a little deeper into the story, and so shall we. We have to talk more about health care. Mitch McConnell and a number of Senate Republicans announced this week that repealing Obamacare will be the first thing, and, and we have some comments from them, and we definitely want to get hear from our panel on that. In addition, we do want to talk a little bit about a state issue. Uh, you may have read about quote, infighting within the Republican Party about what to deal with the transportation budget. We're going to talk a little bit more about that issue, but also what Democrats ought to be doing in response. And very briefly, we'll just uh, do an update on the recount. We talked quite a bit about that last week. Um, So with that, let us uh, dive right into Trump and Carrier Part 2, because we are in our second week of discussing this. Part of the reason... I wanted to talk more is there was some polling done this week. I know we talked last week about was this, you know, was this good for Trump? I think we all agreed that this was really smart politics for Trump, but immediately started to dive into the details, which, of course, um, are not nearly as uh, great as Trump announced. However, one of the things I talked about that concerned me is people aren't going to dive into the details. They won't stay on the story. That initial day or so of press will will be what's left with the media or with the general public. Um, And there was a poll this week that came out that sort of leads to this, and I want to get the panel's comment, uh, that showed that clearly um, this announcement had made Trump more popular uh, amongst uh, the general public. And that included over over 30% of folks who had voted for Hillary Clinton felt this decision made uh, made Trump more popular with them. Now, the devil's in the details, though. Can we keep this issue going? And bravo to the union leader uh, in, in uh, Indiana who basically has gotten into a Twitter war with Donald Trump that is definitely slipped over into the mainstream. And that is Chuck Jones, the president of the United Steelworkers, who basically said that Trump is lying his ass off for his... Uh, you don't say. <laughs> for his jobs <laughs> announcement. And of course, Trump 
took the bait, jumped in, and we may actually be having a discussion about what the hell we ought to be doing to create jobs. Robert, is that is that possible? May may we actually have uh, Trump engaged in this, or is uh, is or will this be gone in a week and uh, we'll, we'll, we won't be talking about this? Oh, it it will not be gone in a week uh, because this is at the heart of the bizarre populism of Donald Trump. We're bringing in right-wing conservatives to run government that have literally been for uh, completely destroying the economy for average people and enriching the 1% and rigging the global economy. But then with this populist lines around trade and around outsourcing. And so this weird amalgam that is whatever Trump's economic policy is, is defined now by this because the carrier situation in the first place occurred because the company had so ham-handedly had that announcement uh, by a vice president of jobs being outsourced it, with all the workers gathered together and seeing their reaction. So it became emblematic of the rigged economy. And basically, uh, American companies being encouraged by our own government to have no loyalty to the country whatsoever, its workers, and just moving just across the border and then sending the air conditioners back right uh, to us and expecting us to reward that and give them tax breaks for us and tell them great jo- call them great job creators for it. But what's fascinating is, is that this Chuck Jones, and a big shout out to the president of U.S. Steelworkers Local 1999, he didn't consult any Democratic pollsters to figure out what message he should use in talking about what was going on, right? I, the steelworkers didn't have to take any hard-earned union money, dues money, and give it to pollsters. He just responded to Trump the way Trump responds. He said uh, that he lied his ass off. <laughs> And this is exactly perfect way to absolutely... To get into a Twitter war with Donald Trump, uh, which is great. Which is so fun. And Trump doesn't follow normal rules. You know, basically, they tell presidents, you're the most powerful person in the world. You shouldn't even be in some sort of give and take with the the leader of a country that's less powerful like this, right? But here's Donald Trump... Twitter warring with the president of a junior local. Chuck. Chuck's taking him down. Who is referred to as a boss, a chief. I'm sorry. (laughs) A a, a union president in this economy with what's been done to labor is not a boss of anything. Okay. This is, this is a, this is a, a, a good guy who's trying to represent workers who has very little power. Wrong. Who then by, by using the right uh, phraseology has caused the most powerful man in the world to attack him directly. Robert, you're wrong. I'm sorry. You're just wrong. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. Uh, so, you know, it's it's interesting in this uh, Twitter war that they are having, which can can anybody imagine? Think of if, like, Twitter had no. been around in the 80s <laughs> and Reagan, <laughs> President Reagan, engaged in Twitter wars. With Mike Rosen. Yeah, over like, education funding. That's what's going on here, that right? That is absolutely. I love Mike Rosen, you know, but it is it is a, the brave new world. It really is. So, you know, it's funny because Trump actually um, is, is basically telling Chuck to uh, take his own advice here where he should, quote, spend more time working, less time talking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you're president-elect, how do you have time? And why have they still let you have a phone? You know, Rince has got to go take that that iPhone away from Donald Trump because this is getting ridiculous. So actually, Jorna, I wanted to get your comment. You oh are boy. a Paul Ryan expert, right? Oh, uh, we're gonna, everything, We're yes. going to stick Paul Ryan watch in right now. You know, Paul Ryan immediately couldn't help himself last week, of course, in trying to suggest that this was a great thing that Donald Trump had done. But then 
when asked about like what specifically, like he admitted he had no details, didn't really understand what had been done here. This is a guy who's never, Ryan, never, ever said anything. Have you heard him on any of Oscar Mayer, Manitowoc Crane? Never. By the way, shout out to the Bill Kaplan for a great blog this week that really laid to bear how ridiculous it was to see Paul Ryan try to jump on this and somehow cheerlead Donald Trump when he's been like a free market zealot who would never. He, he represents Racine and Janesville that have been deindustrialized by global trade. Gutted. Not a word from Paul Ryan, None. right? So, I mean, look, Trump is, we have to admit, Trump is on the right issue. We at Citizen Action in Wisconsin tried to make outsourcing the dominant issue in this election and tried to lead horses to water on this and, and had a, a, an outsourced Wisconsin campaign that pointed out all the companies Scott Walker has given money to who then turned around and outsourced more jobs than they created. So now it's being pointed out in the deal, since uh, Trump can't help but inflate numbers, it wasn't 1,100, it's more like 700, and more jobs are being sent to Mexico still, that essentially we're paying them $7 million, and they're still outsourcing more jobs than they're keeping, and who knows how long they'll even keep the jobs, right? And the big problem here is, I mean, I think George Will, who has gone, had a meltdown, and said that this is a violation of all conservative principle and credo, and called it ad hoc corporate welfare, which is a pretty good line, I agree with that. I also agree with him in calling uh, the various state competition for jobs where we bid down anything companies have to give back to their community in order to try to bring jobs over a border, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial feudalism, which is also a great word, though George Will says that's not necessarily a bad thing, which is, of course, classic George Will. Uh, but what is the policy here? Is he really... Uh, the, the Republican Congress isn't going to let them do a 35% tariff for every company that ships jobs, American company that ships jobs overseas and tries to ship the goods back over borders. So is he on every single case, uh, case going to be calling the corporation, threatening their defense contracts if they have any, which is one thing they think ha might have happened with Carrier. And I, I got to tell you from, from our side, every time there's any more outsourcing in Wisconsin, we're going to say, where's the Donald? Is Donald, why isn't Donald saving these workers' jobs? And where's Walker, right? I mean, we know where Walker is. He's for modernizing the economy. Uh, no, he's just, he's just helping to provide um, tax incentives to, oh, wait, that's right, outsource. Tools to job creators. <sighs> open or for job business. Uncreators. Open for business in Mexico. <laughs> so, with that, we will continue to watch uh, the jobs policy of Donald Trump. And it the is Twitter policy. It is splitting Republicans down the middle because oh, there's it's... no way Paul Ryan likes any of this. Okay, so and what are they going to do? Because they claim they have agreements for Donald Trump that he is going to observe legislative prerogatives more, and not expand executive power like Obama. But then they're not going to pass his 35 percent tariff. Well, what happens? Uh, I, I will before we go on. I will caution you. It is splitting the Republicans. You brought up George Will. It will is will is is splitting Democrats. We know that too. So that's also what makes this going to be something actually very fascinating and important to watch. We think it's critical, and we'll continue to be talking about it as we go forward. Again, want to remind folks: check out if you haven't had a chance to read Bill Kaplan's blog on particularly the hypocrisy of Paul Ryan on this. It's a hat tip to Bill. Hypocrisy of yes. Paul Ryan. Oh, I know, I Matt. know. So with that, we do need to talk about. Obamacare. Another big Ryan area Obamacare. of innovation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, this week, the Senate Republican leaders, 
a lot of white guys, old guys, by the <laughs> way, too, um, got together and uh, announced that they are, of course, going to make repealing Obamacare their top priority. Robert, I want to, I actually have a little bit of audio I want to hear, and then I want to get Jorna, get your and Robert's response to what you're hearing. I love that intro. Let me just also mention what you already know, is that when we come back January 3rd, we'll be moving to the Obamacare uh, replacement resolution, the Obamacare mm -hmm. repeal resolution will be the first item up in the new year. The leader mentioned that one of the first orders of business when we get back in January will be an Obamacare repeal resolution. And I think it's a, a well documented. Everybody agrees, both Republicans and Democrats, that Obamacare has serious problems. Um, I would say it's been a failure, and I think the American people agree with that. Um, Gallup poll last week said that 80% of Americans believe that Obamacare ought to either ought to be repealed and replaced or have to go through significant changes. Robert, jeez, it sounds awful. <laughs> it sounds like everyone hates Obamacare. So this guy goes on, by the way, that was John Thune, who's uh, from correct, um, South Dakota, right? South Dakota mm -hmm. uh, senator who went on to essentially say, Robert, and here's what I want to get you and Jorna to respond to, that they essentially, one, they're going to do two things, right? He called it, he called it a two-step process. On January 3rd, they're going to repeal it. They don't talk at all about the second step, the replace part. They're very quiet about that, although they talk extensively about four principles. The first principle, states, rather than the federal government, will be in charge. Patient doctors will be in control is number two. Number three sounds a bit like two. Patient-centered choice, more choice. They can't say choice enough. And flexibility for small businesses. So, of course, there's nothing in here about, like, actually making sure people will be guaranteed to not have the pre-existing condition bans, right? It's just all this blather. Whoa. But I, 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 Robert and J Jorna... I, you you have something you want to say on this? I'm going to give you the first take. Well, I, Matt, I think you're being a little bit harsh on Republicans in Congress because um, Paul Ryan said clearly there will be a transition and a bridge so that no one is left out in the cold, so that no one is worse off. So this is going to be seamless. And as somebody who gets their insurance through the exchange, I feel very confident that any of my pre-existing conditions that I have currently covered and that my health care is going to not change whatsoever. Uh, wait, sorry. Jonah, I appreciate. I'm Paul holding Ryan Paul watch. Ryan to this. This is great. He's been inserted now into our first two topics, and that is one of the quotes of the week. And I'm going to turn to Robert here in a second for comments on this. Ryan did assert this week that no one, nothing will change. No one, no one will be worse off. No one will be worse there off. Things that we changes, but no one will be worse off. That is going to be virtually impossible, I assume, for him to be held to. But Jorna, that's very exciting for you. As I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm glad. We repeals on January third. Robert, this all sounds like a bunch of crap to me. Um, <laughs> oh. I, please help explain what's actually going to happen here. <laughs> so. And I think thank you for the Paul Ryan because we now have two markers for looking at the replacement, also referred to by them as it. I love the um, I love the vagaries of the uh, of the English language that can allow them to communicate in this fashion. Trump so care. We don't know what it is really. 
uh, other than it is puppy dogs and apple pies and good things. Choice. So the mo- choices, uh, choice. right? There's more choice if you ha- lose your health care and have nowhere to go. Uh, <laughs> no, literally. Mm-hmm. So we have the p- Trump, it'll be great. It'll be the best, right, from the campaign. Now we have Paul Ryan, which we need to repeat almost every week. No one will be worse off. Do you know how much more sweeping that is, is that if you like your health plan, you can keep it, by the way, which they made so much mileage out of? No one will be worse off. And by the way, it's not just the Affordable Care Act. Medicare and Medicaid are on the chopping block after this. It's all part of the same fight. So here's the thing, right? And let me give a hat, a tip of the hat to Chuck Jones rhetorically here, the US Steelworkers president. The problem the Republicans have is that they have lied their asses off about yes. health care and Obamacare since the beginning. And so, yes, they've convinced millions of Trump voters that their health insurance costs will go down and their amount, number of choices in their control of health care will go up if you get rid of the evil Obamacare. Okay? Well... Let me interrupt you here, because that's true. Yeah. That is true. They will deliver on that. Yes. They will. You will pay less, because you will have a catastrophic plan that you can buy across borders and from one garage to the next. So when your friend's selling out of his garage. That's not what people who are answering polls think is going to happen. You're absolutely right, but that's the truth. And since they've been lying their asses off, they can't possibly show their hand and so it's looking like right now, since they have to have their political meet that we repealed Obamacare, and they have to stand up and make these definitive statements, that they're going to repeal it effective in three years, and then have virtually nothing to replace it of any magnitude. And then within those three years, they'll allegedly come up with something. I hope that, you know, it's sort of like uh, crying wolf. Eventually, they might have to come up with something. They'll try to take most of Obamacare and smuggle it in there, but figure out how not to spend money because they need more money to give more tax breaks to the wealthy because that will help us all. So that's the dilemma. They want to get rid of the money. They want to get rid of the billions of dollars in tax subsidies to help people afford health insurance, and they want to get rid of all of the extra money to expand Medicaid, and they think that that's going to make everyone better off and that they're going to have lower costs and more control. It can't be done, so there's a physics problem here. So we'll see. They have brilliant spinmeisters, and they've managed the first stage of this, that is the symbolic repeal, but they've... The problem is is that they ran, for the first time in American history, they ran on lowering people's health insurance costs, making it more affordable and creating more choice and more options, and they can't deliver on that. And we are incompetent as a movement if we can't make them pay for that. Now, there are two scenarios here. Uh, Well, there are three. One scenario is is that we make people realize this fast enough to stop them so that they never do it. Uh, a second scenario, and that might mean them repealing Obamacare and taking most of Obamacare. A second scenario, which is much worse, is, is that millions of people suffer, that 25 million lose their health insurance, and then there's a backlash. The third worst case scenario is, is that our side is so incompetent they get away with it and they blame Obamacare for losing their health care. Well, yes, and, and God, I fear that it's going to be number three. Um, so you both bring up a point that... I think is really important that people who are answering these polls and things don't understand the nuanced policy in the way that we talk about it every day because we do this work and we try and advocate to keep this really essential program that sure may have had you know has its share of issues but it is providing coverage for millions and millions of people you know I take my mom for example who is in her early 60s and has pre-existing conditions and 
she pays a lot on the exchange. She's a small business owner, um, and she pays a lot on the exchange for her health care. And, and sure, would she like that to come down? You know, absolutely she would. But what people don't understand is that what Robert's saying is that he, they're not going to hold the insurance companies accountable. They're not going to hold these um, inflated costs for health care. You know, when I look at my bill for what is covered and what isn't covered and what a basic, you know, visit to the doctor for, you know, a rash is actually costing, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Wait till they deregulate the insurance right. so you won't know what it covers, which will mean mostly never. It just won't cover. You right? know, and I've got an expensive enough plan as a, you know, I won't say how old I am because a lady never tells her as age. An entrepreneur. But as an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's appalling to even think about what that is costing me with a high cost enough plan for my out-of-pocket pocket expenses. And this is only going to get worse. And they're going to try and pull the wool over consumers' eyes. And frankly, as we saw in November, that's pretty easy to do these days. Now, here's the bigger lesson. This may be controversial. I would appreciate any feedback listeners have. I think we need to get over the idea that the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, is the end state that progressives actually mm-hmm. should be shooting for. We need to see it as a bridge, Absolutely. Um, just as they see repeal with no replacement as a bridge. And it's a wobbly bridge. It can be built on. We could do more about pharmaceutical costs, more about insurance uh, and, and holding them accountable, more about hospitals and doctors raising rates each and every year and having prices all over the place like it's a rug bazaar, okay? Uh, <laughs> seriously. I mean, no. The, 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 there's a there's a hundred percent difference for the same procedure between hospitals across, in, in the same cities regularly all the time. There's no relationship between the cost of doing something and its price. Okay, so we, those are all bridges. So we could strengthen the Affordable Care Act, but ultimately, as long as we have an, an, a system that's run on behalf of the healthcare industry and not on behalf of the basic right for everyone to have access to affordable healthcare no matter what. We can't succeed. And the insurance company, uh, quite frankly, the companies, Obama tried to cut them in and be moderate and use heritage think tank solutions that included them. And they have continued to try to rig the system and figure out not to cover anyone who's sick or health or, or might be unhealthy. Okay, they've just continued their business model. It's like we banned child labor and they hired other children. I mean, that's literally what's going on here. So we need to be moving towards a system where our democracy guarantees health care for everyone. And we already have a model. It's called Medicare. And we simply need to expand, med- expand to a Medicare for all system and see this mixed system of Obamacare, which did not fully work but had major advances, as a bridge. And if we don't have that aspiration, then we're in the position of defending a status quo. And that's where Obama got in trouble. He ended up owning the health care mess in this country because he didn't do enough to fix it. And, didn't, and even if, you, if, he had, if he had done the Affordable Care Act as a first step towards fixing it, he never articulated it was only a step. That's the problem. So the upside, if there is such a thing, to all of this is healthcare is going to be back in the debate again. And we're not just sitting around waiting to see what's going to happen to us. A number of our uh, organizing cooperative members have already had their first meeting where, Robert, I know uh, uh, you were part of working with folks, uh, debriefing and giving people a good idea of what's uh, what's ahead of us, but then a lot of st- uh, an effort to start strategizing as to what we want to do to fight back. And so want to encourage folks who are interested in getting involved in getting involved in this fight. We are we are actively working and planning on how to not only protect 
you know, as Robert mentioned, the 22 million folks who have health care, but to, to, to actually lay out a vision of what we ought to be doing uh, since this is going to be reopened for debate, the Republicans are going to reopen all of this in terms of discussion. We ought not be, as Robert said, tied to a shaky bridge necessarily. And there is a national effort underway with other state groups and national groups to do something. I've been in New Orleans, Washington, D.C., and Boston last week planning with people. There's a lot to do. We want to do a lot around December 15th, the end of open enrollment for, for you to get coverage on January 1st. And so there's record enrollment right now because people are right to think that if they have health insurance, it's harder for someone to take it away from you. And so, but really, we're going to we're going to uh, resurface our uh, slogan from a couple years ago, from like from 2000, uh, 2009, which is "Got healthcare?" or "Got healthcare?" I mean, "Got healthcare?" Don't let them take it away because we're talking about, and we're not just talking about Obamacare. Uh, they want to block grant Medicaid, which would destroy Badger Care over time, and they want to make uh, Medicare into a voucher program, which loses value over time, and where the senior pays their voucher, and then they can't get vital life-saving medical care anyway. But the insurance companies will make money, which is, of course, the point of that's what they're trying to figure out. They can't figure it out because it's the same as with global warming. They can't get around the fact that. Facts are stubborn things. They're facts about what you have to do in order to guarantee people have access to affordable health care. They don't want to do any of them. So for those folks who are interested in getting involved in the pushback, the fight back, that group I mentioned has already uh, planned their first event that they're going to be doing to start to wear public awareness. That is Thursday, next Thursday, December 15th at 6 p.m. at the U.S. Federal Courthouse. Uh, there will be a candlelight uh, vigil. Uh, and again, that's uh, 517 East Wisconsin. Encourage folks to uh, get involved. And we'll, we'll have a link to that on our site. we'll probably have some other regional events to be announced as well. And I want to say, I know progressives, our audience gets really frustrated because when I say that using union leader Chuck Jones's line, that they lied their asses off, right, that they got away with it. No, now they are governing. So this is where lying your ass off gets you in trouble. And our job now is to really demonstrate to the majority of the public the difference in what they said and what they plan to do. And that can, quite frankly, this could undermine the Trump presidency and the, uh, and the Republican majority if we actually are bold and we actually do this right and we actually point to the gap between their rhetoric and the reality of what they want to do to people in this country. We'll obviously continue to talk health care as we go forward. We need to uh, put our eyes now for a moment on the state here. We want to talk a little bit about what's been going on around the transportation fight uh, in the budget that's occurring. So real quickly, um, we have a significant budget deficit, particularly in the transportation budget. This week, uh, this uh, Transportation Secretary Gottlieb, Mark Gottlieb, came and uh, testified and Basically, he's in a tough spot. This is someone who understands very well and has been talking for years that we have fundamental uh, a structural deficit, real problems with what we need to maintain our current infrastructure and what we're currently funding it at. And as people know, Walker really is trying to freeze that budget. So Gottlieb was in this bizarre position of having to sort of defend that while also basically saying, if we do what I'm defending, all hell's going to break loose. And so there's a basic a fight, a divide within the Republicans where you have folks like uh, Robin Voss uh, essentially saying we need to live in reality and we can't just trot out a budget that's going to lead to 
infrastructure chaos and more uh, Walker, hardline, conservative, libertarian type, uh, or not libertarian, I shouldn't say that, just fiscally conservative Republicans really yeah. wanting to stay, just wanting to, you know, no tax, right? Why don't we say prudent? Because <laughs> conservatives have created the largest budget deficits in American yeah, history I, when I, they're in control. It's an excellent, so there's no such excellent thing as a fiscal point. conservative. Fiscally irrational, right. uh, no tax increase uh, Republican conservatives. Anyways, but this divide is playing, played out very publicly this week. Um, I don't want us to talk too much. I'm not interested, Jorna, in getting your thoughts necessarily about their particular inner fight. And we'll have links to all of that. Listeners should know Jorna's throwing away all of her, <laughs> bi- her piles of notes and graphs and charts that she was yes. planning to use. Yeah. No, but obviously feel free to comment on any of the particulars. But so what should the Democrats be doing when we have essentially this fight? What are your thoughts on, you know, what ought to be our response? Because this is going to play out. Clearly, they're going to have a fight. This is going to play out over the next spring with our budget cycle. And so potential opportunity. What, what ought we be doing? Well, my first snarky comment is uh, I would like Democrats to lay out a vision for us to fix the zoo interchange so I can get back and forth to George and Reno more effectively. Um, but that's, you know, that's just about me. Uh- <laughs> well, that actually reveals some of the actual politics going on. So folks who don't know, a lot of the transportation that will get held up will be in southeastern Wisconsin, mm-hmm. where a lot of conservative or Republicans right around the wow counties, Voss included, are concerned about, right? That's one of the one of the fault lines. Well, coming into work in the city and then having, you know, getting to escape back to the suburbs Correct. is essential. They need to be able to do that on to. their eight-lane highways. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, look, whenever anything like this comes up, you know, my, my first inclination is I want to get a big stick and poke the bear. Uh, but that's not the appropriate response. The appropriate response for Democrats is, and progressives is to lay out an actual plan, a plan with teeth and policy and, and a planny plan, not just a, you know, one pager of we should do better, that has real context of how we can improve transportation and how we can improve mass transit as well, not right. just road building. Correct. Sorry, it's not just about roads. It's about how we improve our infrastructure for everybody, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, for folks to get around and to be have access to more family-sustaining jobs. And, and that's what I think it's about. Well, in many ways, this is similar to education, if you think about it, right? I mean, if you're talking about how do you have a long-term vision, there's some basic infrastructures that government has really done. Education is one of them. And Thinking about how do we have a transportation, that infrastructure for jobs, for the economy, right? Not to mention we're a tourist state where it's our second largest economy and thinking about how all that's interconnected. You bring up mass transit, right? Which I, is a whole nother issue that's not even being talked about by that. I do, Matt, because you know what I think? To use some of Republicans' own favorite... Um uh, buzzwords, people should have a choice. They should have a choice on their transportation methods. Yeah, I, <laughs> maybe it should be a passenger light rail centered approach. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll make up look, some stupid name. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this. I mean, really, Jordan, I think you're down the right path here. I mean, why aren't Democrats, we need Democrats out there really laying out what would we do in 10 years if we took control what would a vision be that actually maybe put people to work or did things and, and, and laid out a broader vision than the sort of narrow fight here over? Is it going to be a $28 gas tax or, you know, a $6 gas tax? Tax right? on Priuses. It just it seems kind of vacuous and, and really doesn't connect it away beyond just sort of this kind of narrow tax issue. 
Okay, well, there are a couple different levels here. First, there's Walker's magical Kool-Aid uh, view of the world, right, where spending less on education is more, right? Spending less on colleges and universities is more, right? So they've boxed themselves into this, I will never raise a tax thing, right, for poli purely political purposes. So when you see the press, even Republican critics saying that he wrote a political budget, that's what it means, right? right. Okay, just code words. Uh, so here's something that they want, at least they want new wide roads, right? So they have this problem that you need money to build them, and they, but they would have to raise money. They'd have to take money away from some of the huge special interest tax breaks they've done, which are providing no value to the state, and they're unwilling to do this. So you're seeing the incoherence of Walker's political position when it comes to a major issue that they care about. But then there's the broader question of whether we should even be doing what they want to do on transportation, right? Yeah. We hear all this stuff about how it's critical to the economy. Well, what's the economic plan that this transportation That's budget right. relates to, right? Since there is no plan to, to, to address the fact that we have the fastest shrinking middle class in the country since the year 2000, that we're creating mostly poverty wage jobs, the transportation system would aid in reversing those trends. We part of a plan which doesn't exist because the plan is corporate welfare at WEDEC, okay? So obviously it would be a balanced transportation plan that includes mass transit. Obviously we would fix existing critical roads rather than building new roads that are unnecessary but have special interests that want to make money and feast at the trough off of building them, right? That's obvious. But even more than that, we all know any sentient humans who believe in science know that we need to fundamentally change our whole transportation system and our whole economy because otherwise we'll have a global climate genocide. So how does this transportation plan relate to that? Not at all. And then there's the silliness that we turn down the money for high-speed rail, which obviously not only would be a great economic driver, but would reduce the, ne the necessary necessity for new highways. But in addition, we also turned down a, a very simple plan that would have exp expanded commuter rail uh, from Chicago through Kenosha, Racine, the South Shore suburbs, and then Milwaukee. That was killed by Robin Voss uh, before the high-speed train was killed. Those could be part of a plan. Those could draw down a huge amount of federal money. We just walked away from that. So I think Democrats should not only be thinking about not just, I, what I don't want to see is Democrats say, we're going to be the adults, and so we're going to figure out how to fund your retrograde 1950s transportation plan. Because then we're on the hook for wanting to tax people more in some way in order to fund that plan. And then we don't have anything no vision, that's, yeah. that's related to what we need to actually do about transportation in the 21st century. So I would say throw these plans out, all these blueprints, and figure out the actual purpose of transportation in the state and then how we would fund achieving it. Well, look, I mean, okay, Crazy, we, just suffered, huh? we just suffered. Jordan and I are going to go to a debrief next week where all of us progressives get together and talk about what we did and how it didn't work. We suffered a tough, tough defeat. The one thing that is the opportunity of it is we're not tied to any of this stuff, right? And that's what you're saying, Robert. I mean, we've this thing's going to play out over the next spring. We've got time to get together and actually lay out a long-term visionary plan that actually taps into what people really care about. We're not tied to it. And by the way, we're not governing. We're not lawmaking here. We're laying out a vision and an agenda that actually might fire people and change what was catastrophic on November 8th, right? And that's going to require a real vision. And transportation budget, it's just this opportunity sitting in front of us to have this broader conversation. Uh, we have... 
this it's playing out because they've decided to put themselves in this box. We got to take advantage of it. So let's hopefully we'll be able to see this play out and maybe we will start to see some of this. And uh, I'm, you know, we, we might as well talk about what ought to be. So with that, though, we have got to wrap up this podcast. We do want to mention an update on the recount. Uh, it looks like the recount as of this point, about 70 percent over. Uh, or done in terms of the counties. Very little change. I think Hillary's picked up about 80-some votes. Um, do want to mention some crazy stuff that appeared to go down in the city of Greenfield. We do not have time to get into the details. Going to put a link, but it does continue to prove what we've been talking about, that having the system controlled by all these municipalities is still not the way to go because we're sort of left with the low-bar uh, municipality screwing up democracy. So with that, we're going to move to our furloughs. This weekend, Jorna, what are you doing? Same thing I do every... No, you're not. I'm not. You're doing something else. What I, am I doing? I don't know. I I'm just a, thought you might I'm be. I'm going to hang out with George and Reno. Hey, you know, you went to a concert last weekend, and I, I don't recall you mentioning that on the last it was podcast, It was a last so minute, it, you know, going I'm to looking for. Milwaukee, one of my Milwaukee favorites, <laughs> Gold, and uh, one of Matt's favorites. Harmar, superstar. Got to go check him out. Jo uh, Jorna, appreciate it. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Well, it is my birthday, so I should Friday, so I need to figure out something. Party! That's um, right. As you're listening, Friday. But on my birthday, we have birthday. our C4 board meeting, our annual meeting, so only Friday night would be open. Um, Wild. Saturday. And then I do need to speak in Sunday to the Physicians for a National Health Plan in Madison, which have become, they were always, but even more relevant, given that they're doctors who are for Medicare for All. Uh, so I'll figure out other fun things to do. It is Pitt, Penn State, and basketball on Saturday. And as people know, Pitt, Penn State, and football determined who was in the national championship Final Four because if Penn State had not been beaten by Pitt, they'd be in it. Uh, so that creates some solace in that. Uh, basketball is not as uh, illustrious as the football rivalry. Uh, for another podcast, would love to do that. This weekend, I'm actually very excited about the Badger-Marquette basketball game. That is always one of, one of my favorites. But I'm actually looking forward to a weekend. I'm going to go out date night with Bonnie. Looking forward to it. We're going to hit Milwaukee. Should be a good time. With that, though, we want to thank Brian Woldridge, our producer, who makes this podcast happen every week. Thank you, Brian. And we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.